0: So take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 3. We'll be there in just a little bit. Is all anger sinful? I'd like for you to answer that out loud. Is all anger sinful? No, it is not. You and I are made in the image of God. Now, we, quick, Don't sit there and go, it's okay, I'm angry. It's okay to be angry. He just said, not all anger is sinful. <laughs> we'll get to that, and we'll spend the rest of the day talking about that. But we're made in the image of God. And over 375 times in the Bible, It says that God pours out his wrath, or God was angry, or Jesus was angry, or Jesus was upset. 375 times there's this righteous anger. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, it says, In your anger, or different translation says, be angry. There it is. In your anger, or be angry. Not all anger is sinful. The problem is, right next to that phrase in Ephesians Chapter 4, it says, in your anger, here it is, do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. You see, there's a very thin line between righteous anger and selfish or sinful anger, and that thin line is the status of your heart. The only line between righteous anger and sinful anger is the status of our of our hearts. That's what's going to make it hard for us today to blame circumstances or others or my heritage or my personality. Or this is who I am. <clears throat> Did you know that modern medicine has linked at least fifty-one illnesses to anger? Fifty-one illnesses to anger. You say, "Yeah, but pastor, pastor, I just, I just lose it. I can't, I can't control my anger." I've heard that a lot over the last several years of ministry. I can't control my anger, and usually it's with guys. We'll just cut, cut to the chase. Usually it's with guys. I can't control my anger. And I, my very first question is, do you get angry at, at work? Do you spout off at work? Do you yell at work? And he says, oh, no, I would get fired. So you can control your anger. It's whether you choose to control it or not to control it. Okay? So we're not talking about venting today. I'm not, I'm not going to give you 10 or 15 different ways to vent your anger. We're going to talk today about what the Bible says when it comes to controlling our anger. Let's get a, a working definition of anger real simply this morning before we get into the text. A de, just a simple, a simple definition of anger um, can be this, a strong feeling of displeasure aroused by a real or supposed wrong. Anger is a strong feeling of displeasure aroused by real or supposed wrong. Right, that's one way to view it. I have a picture up on the screen that will come up on the screen. This is how I should view it. Okay, when Thor, Thor throws his hammer, it's injustice. But when I throw in a hammer, I need anger management classes. Why is that right? Why is that fair? Did you know that fifteen point five billion dollars is spent in America on anger management courses each year? Fifteen point five. Excuse me, sixteen point five. Billion dollars spent on anger management courses. Twenty-five million Americans participate in anger management courses, and the reason twenty-five million people uh, participate in anger management courses is because another twenty-five million people won't admit that they struggle with anger. That that number could probably be doubled. Okay, we're going to see that uh, that we have the capacity. Each one of us has a capacity for unrighteous, sinful anger. But anger in and of itself is not something evil. God has instilled within us certain emotions, and God has instilled within us the emotion of anger. And when these emotions work properly, they serve to protect us and to build us us, up. Anger is actually a gift from God. And when used in a positive way... It can do great things in the kingdom of God, but it's when anger is used the wrong way or in a destructive way, it can become very destructive when it is not controlled. That sets us up for the text this morning. So before we get into that, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, you know my heart uh, in this sermon today and just how, um, how difficult it is, in fact, maybe the hardest thing for us to do this month is to admit uh, when we are haunted by anger, is to, above all else, guard our hearts but to let the walls crumble and fall down around the unrighteous, sinful anger that can be stored up in our hearts, whether it's bitterness, wrath, clamor, slander, malice, all these words that you call reactionary and sinful, that when we harbor them in our hearts, uh, they can destroy relationships. I pray this morning that uh, we would let down not the guard around our heart, but the guard around our mind and be willing to admit when we are haunted by anger. Jesus, through your spirit, reveal what we need to know through your word today. It is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts past bone and marrow into the very soul and intentions of my heart. We pray this in your Son's most powerful name. Amen. And even though anger can be terribly destructive when it's not controlled, if Ephesians 5.18 is true, and it says, Therefore do not get drunk with wine that is in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. If a Christ follower is desiring to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then Galatians 5, and 23 is also true. As we are filled with, the, with uh, the Holy Spirit, we will exude the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and, oh baby, self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and so when it comes to anger, I believe God's word speaks very clearly and gives us a very clear view of how we can control our anger, both righteous and unrighteous. Because, again, the only difference between the two is the status of your heart and the status of my heart. So James chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 13. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, He's the lead pastor at the church in Jerusalem. And James dies... Because of his brother. James dies because of his brother, Jesus. And this is the guy that wrote this book. And you're going to think this is a little bit weird. Pastor, I thought we were talking about anger today and controlling our anger. And this passage doesn't really speak to it. Hang on. We'll get there. You'll see it in a different text in the earlier part of James. But we have to set the foundation here. And this is a very important part of it. So James chapter 3, starting in verse 13 who is wise and understanding among you that's a rhetorical question who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct by his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast and be false to the truth this is not wisdom that comes down from above but is earthly unspiritual and demonic for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is pure, first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace, don't miss this, by those who Make peace. Cultivate peace. One of the keys to controlling, I'm going to give you three keys to controlling our anger. In in fact, we're going to answer the question, how do we keep anger from lodging in our heart? How do we keep anger from lodging in our heart? Here's the first key to that. Devour biblical wisdom. Devour biblical wisdom. James asks a rhetorical question Who is wise and understanding among you? But he's talking, obviously, about the wisdom. There's two types of wisdom wisdom that comes from above versus earthly wisdom. And if you remember all the way back to uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, and and Solomon, when when God uh, gives him this opportunity to ask for anything that he wants, Solomon asks for. He asks for wisdom, wisdom that comes from above. And so we need to remind ourselves that what wisdom is not, okay? Wisdom is not just more information. Wisdom isn't just getting more knowledge, okay? Wisdom is taking that knowledge along with a divine intervention and allowing actions to transform my attitudes, my actions, my behaviors—that's wisdom. When we take knowledge and instruction from above, and combine it with divine intervention from God to help us in our attitudes, in our actions, and our behaviors—all of our behaviors. So we're not talking about behavioral modification here. We're talking about the status of our of our hearts. Proverbs is one of five wisdom books in the Old Testament. Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and yes, the Song of Solomon is a wisdom book. And in Proverbs, uh, uh, Proverbs tells us that, that there's, there's, this, there's this contrast between anger and wisdom. And so this, let me share a few verses with you out of Proverbs. These aren't any boy. At some point in time, you could take an entire month and look at the uh, book of Proverbs and you could mark every single verse. There are so many verses that contrast anger and wisdom. Let me just read a few of them to you. Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly, is a fool. The opposite of wisdom is foolishness. Uh, Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 22, 29. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. A, A man given to anger causes much sinfulness is another way of looking at that proverb. Now, now look at the text. The text tells us truly that there's two types of wisdom. A type that comes from above, verse 15, and a, a type that comes from the earth. This is not wisdom, verse 15. This is not wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly and spiritual demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But wisdom from above. So there's two contrasting types of of wisdom. And James gives a synopsis of earthly wisdom in verses 14 through 16. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, look at it, look at the text, look at the prepositional phrase, in your hearts. This doesn't have to do with circumstances, other people, uh, heritage, personality. This is just who I am. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts not boast and be false to the truth this is not wisdom that comes from above it is earthly unspiritual and James even goes as far as to say that time of that kind of wisdom is demonic That sounds harsh and it sounds unpleasant unpleasant and and actually doesn't it sound terrible I think it sounds terrible. I think it sounds scary. If all we have to rely on is this earthly wisdom that that this earth, this world has to offer, we're going to be in trouble. We're going to be in trouble. But it gets worse. Look at the motive again. The motive is in verse 14. The motive out of earthly wisdom comes from your heart. The bitterness, the bitter jealousy, the selfish ambition comes from our hearts. Let's define bitter jealousy this morning. Bitter jealousy in the text uh, literally means this. A harsh self-centeredness that brings resentment. A harsh self-centeredness that brings resentment that that's what uh, that's what selfish or excuse me bitter jealousy means in the text here if in your heart you have a harsh self-centered resentment then you're an angry person if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition that that idea of selfish ambition is this that that I'm anything that I do anything that I say is for selfish Gain. I deserve, I should get. The reason that we lose our temper, the reason that we get angry, let's just be honest with each other, the reason that you and I get angry is because we believe we have certain inalienable rights and those inalienable rights have been infringed upon by someone or something else. And because those rights have been infringed upon, we have this selfish bitterness or selfish ambition Inside of us, we're resentful because we have those inalienable rights. Don't think this is true? Let's take some scenarios this morning. Somewhere, each one of us at some point in time think, we've probably thought this, I have the right to have consistently obedient children. Right? Right? Right. I remember talking with a, a newly married couple that said, My kids will never, my kids will never do this. My, like, yeah, You're wrong. <laughs> you're, you're so, uh, I was going to use the word fool. Yeah, fool. <laughs> we, we somehow think that we have this right or we deserve that our kids should should be consistently obedient as if they've already learned all of the boundaries that God's word talks about when it comes to how they should grow up in the maturity of Jesus Christ. And yet uh, Ephesians chapter 6 says, fathers, dads, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate your children. You know what it doesn't say? Children, don't exasperate your parents. It doesn't say that in there. It says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Now, yes, it does say, children, honor your father and mother in the Lord, for this is right. How do they know how to do that? You. You have to train them. You have to teach them. You wanted them at one point in time. (laughs) I want children. What were we thinking? <laughs> that, that, that argument inside of your head starts to take place. And you find yourself in this place of anger as if you had the right to consistent, obedient children. Man, we went Thursday night to uh, the Hope Pregnancy Center banquet. And Jill Savage uh, stood up there and shared her family story. And one, several things stuck out, stuck out to me. But one thing that stuck out the biggest, and somebody may need to hear this today. Your identity is not the decisions of your adult children. Somebody may need to hear that today, that no matter what your adult children are deciding, that is not your identity. Whether it saddens you or angers you, it's not your identity. All right, maybe we could set that one aside, and, and maybe someone in here today, oh, and by the way, Christians, we don't get angry, do we? We don't, we don't get angry, we get frustrated. Listen, kids, We're not angry. I'm just frustrated (laughs) with you. Because you're trying your very best to push it down. I'm just just frustrated. So go to your room before I pound you into the I'm Okay, I'm just frustrated with you. But we take that same idea into our careers and into our jobs. We all deserve to have a great boss that always pats us on the back and loves what we're doing, right? We deserve that, right? We have this certain inalienable right, and we're angry when things go bad at work. And yet the only right that we have, according to Colossians 3.23, is whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Do we really have a right? I have a right. I deserve a peaceful and happy marriage. Really? Really? Sinful man, sinful woman, in God's great grace thought this would be a good idea to bring a selfish man and a selfish woman and unite them together in holy matrimony and say the two of you will become one flesh? Are you nuts? Is that really the best thing? I deserve, I have rights to a happy, fulfilling Marriage, and yet the Bible says in First Peter chapter 3, husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way. In Ephesians chapter 5, wives, respect your husbands, two totally and completely sinful people being brought together in the unity of God to be one before Him and to be a picture of Christ and the church. It's not about having a right, it's about fighting for that right to be married. I have a right. I have a right to good health. Maybe your health, may, maybe there's some things going on in your life, and it's made you angry. That some of these things, I, I, have a, I get it as a toothache you know, every once in a while, and, and it angers me. I'm like, I shouldn't get this. I brush my teeth. Why do I have this toothache? And, and so they went in, and they did some work, and they put a cap on it. Hey, guess what? It still hurts. <laughs> Fix it. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to suffer. I don't want any pain. This body is broken, and some of us need a reminder today that this body is meant for the grave. It's not going to make it past this time that we're living on Earth. It is the very soul that is within inside you that lasts for eternity. Why are we angry? Why are we angry? Like whoa, passenger man. Just a bit over the top here this morning. That's a, you're exaggerating. <clears throat> Am I? Verse 16 For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder, um, chaos, confusion, instability. That's, that's what that word means disorder. There will be disorder. Confusion, chaos, and instability in this world. And get this every vile practice. A world that lives by earthly wisdom will live in chaos, they will live in instability, and they will practice every vile thing. Is that true? That is absolutely true. We only need to take a moment to look at the world around us that is infatuated with their own wisdom. And they live in chaos and instability and every vile practice. Is it really so far for us to say, here's how I normally explain, I would explain this. Pretend this is the devil right here. Pretend this is Jesus all the way here. And as a Christ follower for the last 45 years, I'm so much closer to acting like Satan than I am than acting like God. We so depend on earthly wisdom. But it's a cliff. We get angry when our rights are infringed upon. But there's better wisdom. There's wisdom that comes from God. Verse 17 But the wisdom from above is first pure. Pure. It's a motive of the heart. Godly wisdom shows up in the motive of the heart that is pure. And then, better translation, and then, here's the outpouring of that pure heart. Then it's peaceable. Then it's gentle. Then it's open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. Earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom or wisdom from above are polar opposites. Because wisdom from God comes from the motive of a pure heart that leads to peace. And to a person who harvests that peace in righteousness by making peace, not just letting peace happen or eventually this will work out. No, no, no. I'm going to make peace. And all of that sets up what happens next in the text. So how do you keep anger from lodging in your heart? First, by devouring godly wisdom, wisdom from above that brings peace and understanding and gentleness. Here's the second Second key to keeping anger from lodging in your heart by exhibiting genuine humility. Here's where it gets really tough. For what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, and do not obtain, so you fight and quarrel? You know, we have this uh, separation in our Bibles from chapter 3 to chapter 4. We have this separation. But this was a book. This was a letter that was written by James. So there's no separation. Inside of context, we go from wisdom, and James then goes to quarreling, arguing, in anger and disagreement. What, what? What quarrels are there among you? What causes fights among you? And you're like, Pastor, Pastor. Hey, listen, it's not what, it's who. <laughs> who causes quarrels and, and who causes all of this anger? Who causes fighting? Uh, I'm, I'm going to show you something that's very, very important. It doesn't matter if it's a what, and it doesn't matter if it's a who, because this is what James does, and this is where it hurts the most. Is it not this? that your passions and your pleasures are at war within you. The reason that you and I struggle with anger, are haunted by anger, allow anger to harbor in our hearts, isn't because of my circumstance. It isn't because of the what. It isn't because of the who. It isn't because of my heritage. It isn't because it's just who I am in my personality. It's because something bad is happening in my heart. I have these certain desires and certain pleasures and certain passions that are at war within you. <laughs> There's this, it's really, uh, it's an old group and they sound old, but, but Petra, they have this song called Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and it's all about this war of this man that's inside of us. Paul talks about it in Romans, the things that I wanna do, I don't do and the things that I don't wanna do, I do. There's this war going on inside of me. I have inalienable rights. And yet, so that anger doesn't take up lodging in your heart, you have to exhibit humility. Because earthly wisdom brings arrogance and heavenly wisdom brings humility. What's the text saying here? The text is saying, own it. Own it. Can you just do that this morning? If you're haunted by anger, and I'm not just talking about little bouts of anger. Those are things that need to be dealt with, but that consistent lifestyle of anger, both of those, just own it this morning. Own it that I'm haunted, that I struggle with that, that I hold that I hold that in. I choose to be sinfully angry. The course or the source of the conflict doesn't start out there with other people. It's in here. It's in here. And as a matter of fact, conflict, conflict just shakes it out. So own it. Here's the third thing. The third key to not allowing anger to lodge in your heart is to seize control of it. And here's where we need to turn back to the beginning of the book of James. We need to be reminded about something that James wrote in the very first chapter, the very beginning part of his letter, his his book. James chapter 1, we seize control of it. Remember I said the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. This is what James wrote before he got to chapter 3 and chapter 4. In verse 19, he said, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The context here, if we had time to look at it, uh, probably refers to both our relationships with one another and our relationship to God and to his word. Both. When he's saying be, be a person to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, it's about our relationship to God and his word and our relationship with each other. So, how do we seize control? Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person, so whether you struggle or whether you do not struggle with anger, it says every person, every person, be quick to listen. Be quick to, how, how do we seize control? Be quick to listen. Wherever wisdom is the goal, Hearing is the very first virtue. Wherever wisdom and 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 uh, is the goal. Wherever wisdom is the goal, hearing is the very first virtue. Godly wisdom. I'm going to be quick to hear or quick to listen. Which, come on, let's be honest. Isn't that like one of the hardest things to do when you're angry and you're in a dispute or you're having a conflict? The very first thing is oh. Please let me listen carefully to you. Let me be quick to listen. Are you, is, that, is that how you, that's, that sounds easy, right? Right? No, don't leave me up here. That's not easy, is it? All right. I, you don't believe me. Turn to your neighbor. That sounds hard. Turn to your neighbor and say, that sounds hard. That sounds hard. Yeah, doesn't it? I did some research on the definition of quick, and here's what it means. Definition of Quick. Quick quick, uh, several different commentaries, several different Bible dictionaries said this verse, the word quick actually means just uh, quick. Quick to listen, and not quick to listen so that you can quickly come up with a retort. Okay, I'm listening, I'm listening so that I can speak next because that's what happens next in text. Be quick to listen and slow to, yeah, say it out loud, slow to speak. Um, I, I did a little bit of work on the word slow. You got it, you got it. It's slow. Don't just love the, I, I love the, ta- the, the tandem of quick and slow here because it may be the, the hardest piece of learning, self-control. Why? Because we have the right to be heard. And when we're in a disagreement or when we're arguing or when we're upset with someone, they have every right to hear what I have to say, right, right, that's how we, that's how, but self-control would say to be slow to speak, because a cautious response puts hurtful responses in check. A cautious response puts hurtful responses in check. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and the last one, be slow to anger. Well, yeah, but Pastor, that's what you've been talking about all morning, that we should be slow to anger, whether righteous or unright. We should be slow to anger. What if the answer to the question, why should we be slow to anger? What if the question was really simple? It's twofold, but it's really simple. It is. Why be slow to anger? Here's the first reason why we should be slow to anger. Because it reflects the character of God. At the very beginning of this message, I said, you and I are made in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And because we are made in the image of God, how we act and react should be a reflection of the image of God. And in Psalm one forty, let me look here real quick. In Psalm 145, verse 8, it says, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Why be slow to anger? Because when we are slow to anger, it displays the character of God. Let me give you another reason why being slow to anger is wise. Okay, here's the second reason It's up on the screen. Because it's the greatest display of anger and love that was poured out on the cross. The greatest display of righteous anger, the wrath of God poured out on Christ, and the greatest response to that anger is the unconditional unwavering love of Christ to take the wrath of God on himself for all sins past present and future it is the picture of the gospel before us and that's why Paul was able to write in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 be kind tender-hearted forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you and me That's why we're to be slow to anger.